Corey Hybe, Chris Harrington, and Aaron Courtney, three broads, bringing you stories and strategies exploring manufacturing topics that challenge the status quo while laying the foundations for future success. Together with special guests, they'll celebrate what's working and unpack what is not so you can learn, grow, and succeed. You want to learn more about your hosts? Make sure to listen to episode one. Erin, how's the house remodel project going? Well, it's official now. I've been talking about this for, what, two, three years, and we finally signed on the dotted line. Listeners, what's your number (laughs) one piece of advice for a person undergoing a massive home renovation remodel addition type thing? Lori, any tips? I guess we did a big remodel in our basement, our old house, but we did it ourselves. Hmm. But the one thing I would... It took like a year and a half because oh. we did it ourselves. Whatever you're budgeting, anticipate spending about 25 to 30% more than that. I know you didn't want to hear that. <laughs> nope. Nope. I, in fact, this is going to come up later when we're talking to our guest today, because I have a question for her not to do with remodeling, but her very special area of expertise. So let's find out who we have. Hanging out with us today. Today we have Nicole Donnelly. Nicole is a fourth generation entrepreneur and the owner of DMG Digital, a content marketing agency for manufacturers. Nicole is the host of the Tales of Misadventure podcast, where she invites successful entrepreneurs to share their stories of failure and how they turned lemons into lemonade. Nicole, welcome to the show. It's awesome to be here. Thanks for having me, Lori and Aaron. I've been looking forward to this conversation all week. Very excited to have you here. Same, same. So I love the banter. So <laughs> to be invited on the show is like such a cool honor. When I got invited, I did a little happy dance. When I saw your name, you know, Nicole, for those listening who aren't aware, get on LinkedIn, first of all, and follow all of us. But there's a nice community of people that serve manufacturers on LinkedIn that really support one another. Nicole is one of those folks. So it's been great to get to know you through that format. And I'm excited to have you on the show today. And I get the very special benefit of having a fellow marketing agency owner on the show because I love talking super nerdy digital marketing stuff. Look out people. We're going to get deep. We're going to get deep. I'm ready. Yeah, let's do it. So Nicole, you recently gave a keynote at the Meet Magento e-commerce event in New York City. What was the topic and what inspired you to speak on that topic? Yes, it was so fun. It was my very first keynote, dream come true, bucket list. I remember I was getting off the train. I had my ear pods in and I was listening to Empire State of Mind by Alicia Keys and Jay-Z. And I was like on fire, just so excited. I was like, I can't wait to deliver this message. So excited. So the message was about breaking barriers in e-commerce for manufacturers. Mm -hmm. So it's such a different world to implement an e-commerce solution for a manufacturing company than it is for a retail or any sort of B2C application. So it was a topic very near and dear to my heart. So I spoke about my experience leading that digital transformation for a legacy manufacturer and the lessons I learned along the way. The three main lessons were, you know, you've got to preserve some level of tradition because manufacturers love their tradition as you're going through that transformation, mm-hmm. identifying what that tradition is and, mm-hmm. and honoring it and figuring out how to position e-commerce as a support and a a way to elevate the sales reps rather than in being in competition with them. Mm -hmm. And then the third was just educate. It's so important to educate these manufacturers on 
e-commerce and how it works so that they can be prepared because there's such a huge addressable market. There's 600,000 manufacturers in our country and they need to digitize their sales process. So it was exciting to meet so many partners at the conference who kind of commiserated together and said, oh my gosh, we understand the pains and the challenges. And as you guys can know and attest, anytime you're going through a digital transformation, the most important part is the people part. And you have to get that right in order for it to really work and make sure everybody's on board and a part of the process and you get them through all of those phases of change. So you can't escape them. They're painful, but part of every project, there's going to be those phases. So it was a really fun and exciting event and I loved it. I want to do it again. So it was a Magento event. One of the things that I noticed during our work implementing Magento solutions for manufacturers was you have two really different cultures attempting to make something totally new together, right? Yeah. Do you mind speaking to that challenge a little bit? And then what were some of the things that you did to navigate those two different cultures working together? So I would say the first thing is they're to the point of education. These technical partners are sometimes so technical that they're way up here. Got to step down and really Mm -hmm. try to meet these manufacturers where they are. So the first thing I think is important is to help them in the discovery phase, really understand what are their business constraints? Like what's their pricing model? How are they shipping products now? And really understanding those constraints very well Mm -hmm. that you can architect a solution that's going to address and taking a crawl, walk, run approach to say like, we can't solve all these problems all Mm. at once. So like the Magento is a incredibly robust platform. So extensible. You can customize it to the nth degree, which is beautiful. And that's a great thing is that it can grow with the organization as they continue to evolve. But you got to really understand upfront what all of the business constraints are so that you can make sure that's going to be built into the platform. Yeah, totally. But what I kind of noticed is it's also an education for the manufacturers themselves, because there are a lot of things that become almost like water to a fish. Like, how can I analyze the oxygen that I breathe? You get (laughs) to some point and somebody's like, oh, so how do you do this? And they're like, just the way that it's done. Like, no, actually, I need you to break that down. I need you to make this real simple. And that becomes a learning process for both parties. Mm -hmm. I like what you're saying about the business processes, that's such an important place to start. But I think going into it, there's so many assumptions. If you can say, we're going to start with the business process, that's probably a great way to lead everyone down a successful path. There's so many assumptions that get made on both sides. Mm -hmm. You have to ask kind of what you think are the silly questions. Like, wait a second, can you explain exactly how you typically ship this out and tell us more about your pricing model. It's really getting into the nitty gritty of it in that discovery phase so you don't get eaten later. And it happens every time. But the worst thing is when those things don't get addressed in discovery and then they rear their ugly heads in the middle of implementation. Mm -hmm. You're like, wait a second. Why didn't we address this Mm -hmm. sooner? possible to avoid those situations. Of course, some of that's just not going to be avoidable, but I've had some manufacturers and they see these other e-commerce platforms from their competitors and they say, I want mine to Mm. look like that. Mm -hmm. And you have to kind of explain them, well, that site cost over a million dollars to build. So like you have to educate them to understand there's a lot that went into this store, like all the configuration capabilities. The first step for you is you've got to build out your product catalog. You need a mm-hmm. solid product catalog before you can think about advanced configuration capabilities and the implications with shipping and all of that. So I think for manufacturers, they get this shiny object syndrome a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, 
so important for them to not eat the whole elephant and for you to really like set those expectations very realistically, very early on so that they're not going to be upset down the road. Or they'll be upset, but they have the (laughs) tools to manage their disappointment. I learned a lot working on Magento for manufacturing, and I'm bringing that knowledge to my renovation work. One of those parallels that Lori alluded to is that you're going to go over budget. If there's lots of places that money can go, where would you advise that it makes good sense to put that 20%? And you hit the nail on the head about it always going over. You have to set that expectation with the clients, I think, mm-hmm. front. Anyway, where would it go? It definitely depends on the manufacturer. Being able to integrate your e-commerce platform into your ERP is huge. Mm-hmm. So I think that, and of course, that's not something that you can always do right out of the gate, right? Like yeah. you can start with just getting their products catalog in there and everything. But I would say that that would be something that you you could invest in like in a phase two or a phase three type of situation. And Um, making sure that in phase one, mm -hmm. that you're lined up to do that when those resources become available. So maybe that's where your 20% goes. It might be something that seems like the payoff is off into the future, but it's going to be a real genuine payoff. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And then I think after that, once you have your basic storefront, your standard SKUs and your customer portal, those would be the first phases, what products that are off the shelf can you put up right away and then create a customer portal for your customers to easily reorder. And then the next thing is configuration. Mm -hmm. How can you create a configurable product? That's where it gets to the next level of complexity. Yeah. I mean, whether you're considering e-commerce, whether you're in the middle of it or at some place along your journey or whether you've just wrapped up, just know that we understand that it's not easy. And there you're gonna you're getting beat over the head right now with how important it is and how necessary it is, right? We're all hearing that. And I'm sorry that Chris isn't here because she's an expert in this area. But I wanna get the message out there that there are amazing abundance of experts ready to help you. It is going to be painful. But at this point, it's not really an alternative. Is there, Nicole? Yeah. I, I love that you said it's painful. I just put a post on LinkedIn about this that I I found from my experience, there's eight phases of change when you're mm-hmm. going through a digital transformation. The first is denial. Okay. <laughs> Don't have a problem. We're fine. It's just, you know, the economy, supply chain, denial. The second phase is, okay, there's a problem, but it's resistance. We don't think that e-commerce or whatever is going to be the solution. Mm-hmm. You know, the third phase is, okay, finally, we're going to acquiesce somewhat, a little bit grumbling. Okay. We're going to do this. We're going to invest in it. Then the fourth phase is like, we're excited. Look at how amazing this is going to be. They go to the sales calls and it's just like, whoa, look at what this platform can do for us. Instant oh, quoting, cool. shipping integration, everything. And the next phase is overwhelm. We're like, oh my gosh, we have to get our product catalog all organized. We need new mm-hmm. pictures. Mm-hmm. Who's going to manage the store internally? What's all this business constraint nonsense? Like total overwhelm. And then the next phase is frustration. They're like, yeah. wait a second. This looked a lot easier in discovery. And that usually is like a little less. And then once you get past the frustration, it's the adoption phase. We got to all use this. We got to make sure everybody's trained, sales team, accountability, all of that. That's mm-hmm. another process, getting everyone on the bus. And then finally, it's like, integration. <gasps> you finally reach that integration phase where it's like, you don't even have to think about it. Right. That's like the Holy grail. But I think you hit the nail on the head, Aaron, that frustration phase and the overwhelm phase, 
you have to go through those phases. You can't avoid them. It's going to be part of the process. And mm. it's so important, I think, to your point that manufacturers recognize that up front. Whenever you go through a change or a transformation like this, there's going to be pain. You're going to be letting go of things. You're going to have to do things differently than you've done before. But- all of that. So I love that you said that. If somebody tells you it's going to be easy peasy, look <laughs> elsewhere. They're blowing smoke. So thank you for speaking real about e-commerce. I'd like to get to know a little bit more about you. Brought you into manufacturing, into entrepreneurship. What kindled that in your soul? Ooh, I have this amazing lineage of entrepreneurship in my family. My dad built a successful manufacturing company. My grandfather on my mother's side owned a motel right across the street from Disney. Yeah. It was so cool. I worked there when I was in high school at the front desk. And awesome. that was my first experience with what an amazing customer experience could be. The joy on these people's faces when they'd come and being part of that really inspired me at a young age. Like, I want to be part of creating that wherever I go. Oh. So my father and my great-grandfather owned a successful oil company. I found out my great, great, great grandmother, <laughs> her name was Sophie. She was from Denmark. She owned a deli and a bakery in Copenhagen. Oh, and she wow. used to cater to the king of Denmark. <gasps> Wow. Oh, wow. I've always so had this cool. dream for like the last 20 years. I was like, I want to own a business. I want to be the first woman in my family to own a business and carry this legacy <laughs> forward. There's <laughs> turns out you're oh, that's awesome though. Hundreds, a woman, a female entrepreneur in the 1800s, like her husband oh, that's... little like cobbler shop or store right next to her. Oh, I love her, that. Her bakery. I mean, anyway, I just always wanted to celebrate small businesses, entrepreneurship, however I can. I've seen what a beautiful gift it is and how it lifts families and communities. And so anyway, that's kind of what inspired me. It's, you know, I love helping these small businesses grow and they need so much help. Yeah. That's what inspired me. So every day I get to work, I just think about my dad, my grandpa, my great grandpa, my great, great grandma. I think, how can I honor you today? How can I carry your legacy forward in what I'm doing? And that's what drives me and inspires me. I love that. I feel inspired. All right. I think this is a time of the show where we talk about some fun things that we just learned. Erin, finish this sentence, please. I just learned that. I just learned that Ivan the Terrible, who (laughs) was one of the first monarchs in Russia. I've been like obsessed with (laughs) Russia for forever. And so I just got a hold of this podcast called Empires and I found the Russia episode. And so I learned about Ivan the Terrible. This man was so terrible that he managed to decimate his entire lineage. They had to go shopping around distant, distant cousins to even get somebody to the throne was empty because he had killed all the nieces, nephews, cousins, brothers-in-laws, and so forth. He was a murderous man. And that's how the Romanovs came on the picture. They were like way distant cousin. And they begged them, please. And they were like, why? It's horrible over there. I do not want to live in that Kremlin. It is, it's a hovel. And they built the empire that we know of from Peter the Great, the Romanovs forward. So, so Lori... I'm going to go the AI route again. AI companies are investing more and more dollars to market their products. So there's a lot of dollars going into advertising and promoting their products to try to capture as much market share as possible. And 2023, so far, there's been over $40 million spent with the bulk of that being spent in just the third quarter of 2023. Mm -hmm. Advertising dollars 
for all these startups to get whatever market share they can right now, which is really interesting to see. Fascinating. Also makes me wonder, why don't they just get their AI to do it? Yeah, there's another interesting article that I read recently, and it's basically saying that we're moving into phase two of generative AI adoption. So phase one was where every startup available is out there and people are trying to take market share. But phase two is more leaning into like very specific use cases and industry segmentation of the platform. And I think that's where we're going to see more success and adoption instead of just being a generalist like chat GPT. The platforms that are probably going to have greater successes are the ones that are niching down, which is I think the tried and true method of any yeah. product and service offering. So there, that's you're seeing more and more of that evolution, like healthcare specific AI resources mm -hmm. or legal specific AI resources. So it's interesting to see this evolution of this tool and every single day something new is happening, but yeah, I'm geeking out over it. Uh, <laughs> Nicole, what about you? What did you just learn? Right now I'm reading an SEO book by Ryan Brock. I saw him at Content Marketing World last month and I was like, I'm going to pick up his book and read about it. SEO is going through a lot of transition with AI mm -hmm. and everything. His book was really fascinating. Historically, whenever you're doing SEO, you're focused on keywords and keyword strategy, but his approach is very much like focused on really using the search engine results page. You'll understand search intent better than anybody else out there. So using the search engine results page for whatever topic you want to be the expert or known on and diving into all of the related questions that you see on that search engine page, mm -hmm. recommended searches, so that you can create a spider web of all of the content related to that topic that you need to be writing for. And so when you do that, when you create content for that entire spider web, rather than optimizing for a specific mm -hmm. keyword, you can dominate the whole spider web and potentially rank, even if it's a question that's not super relevant, but still writing about it so that it's a signal to Google that you are showing up. That's the book I'm in the middle of reading right now. It's very relevant for my industry. For what I'm doing. Yeah, that's a great strategy to instill. Why focus on trying to just have one result where you can take over the entire results page? And then you're going to see way greater successes. It's a different approach to take, but it can be very beneficial. And what Google's doing, especially with AI, I think there's going to be some major shifts because as you kind of talked about, they don't want people to leave their platform either. So they're giving you the exactly. answer right away, as opposed to just, here's a couple of links and then good luck. Here it is. This is the answer to your question, making sure that you're showing up as the absolute best answer to that question is challenging with voice search too. People using voices and responding with, here's 10 specific options related mm -hmm. to your inquiry. It's like, here's the one we recommend is the best. So it's changing the game a little bit. Yeah, you're right. And I think as brands, you have to really get like identify what is the one, two topics that you want to just be known for in your industry, yeah. dominate those so that when AI is, you know, doing their AI thing, they're going to see that you're the one that's dominating and talking about those topics and have the authority more than anyone else. How is that going to work though? Me and my buddy Bard, we've been hanging out a lot <laughs> and I don't need Bard to tell me where he gets the information from. I just need the information. The whole search engine thing for content seems like a dead end. I'm going to challenge you, Erin, because you want to know the source of that information. We've known historically that 
information on the internet is not always 100% accurate. So you're going to want to know the source. Trust is the number one most important factor in business communication and relationships. Yeah, I would agree with Lori. I would say, especially in manufacturing, especially highly technical applications, engineers, they are going to want to know that. They want to know where they're getting their information. That credibility is so important. I don't think that's going to go away. That's an interesting and important point. Content development historically is more sort of like broad questions. Didn't always get down to that how-to or what about very specific nitty-gritty. The bloggy type content is not what is going to have the value. It's going to be that nuts and bolts verifiable content that's going to have the value. Because I don't verify on what do people generally think about XYZ? I feel like Nicole and I could have a whole nother show. I oh, have so many so- things I want to challenge you on right now, Erin. You should, because oh. I think of myself as a user and we got to be responsive to users. I think there's just going to be such a huge, huge, in terms of just information acquisition on the part of a user Mm -hmm. and any of the forecasters are working with the same level of ignorance because we just don't know. And I, I just, I think we need to have another episode is what we need to do. Otherwise we'll be doing this all day long and our listeners (laughs) are ready for that. I would say it's becoming so much more important for brands to focus on their branding. The brand, when your AI is serving up an answer so that your brand is showing up result. So maybe there's not a source, but if your brand is mentioned, that's the brand recognition. And the more that someone can see and associate your brand with whatever that topic is. So I think, and that's, you know, that you have to take an omni-channel approach to that. You can't put all your eggs in SEO. You've got to be doing social, have a social strategy, but your website is always going to be the home and Mm -hmm. you need to have a good home. So there needs to be great content on your home so that when people are making those buying decisions, you're still showing up for them when they get to your website. You want to be the trusted source. Your brand is a trusted source for that specific challenge, pain, inquiry that is out there. That is the shift in marketing that is painful because everyone was just trusting Google to show up for whatever, where now that world is changing again. The other argument, then we can put a lid on it. Nicole chatted about it a little bit, the intent of the search, which is all about the customer journey. It's not always the end result that people are seeking initially. There's an entire search series or steps that takes place and that's, that's the customer journey. So it's making sure that you're still showing up at all those stages as that trusted brand and resource. And there's so there's a lot of strategy that goes into that. You may not realize that you are looking for information that is trusted source, because you may look at something and that's not what I want. And then look at something else again. And you, you may not realize that because you're only focusing on finding the actual answer to your query, but it's bigger than that. Yeah. This is a whole nother show. I look forward to it. It's very interesting and important. We're going to continue to explore this right alongside you. We're going to ask the hard questions and we want to hear your questions as well. So shoot us an email, post on LinkedIn. We want to know what you want to know. So a hundred percent. Hey, Nicole, if anyone was interested in getting in contact with you, what's the best way they can reach you? Oh yeah. You can come to my website. It's dmgdigital.io. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Nicole-Donnelly-DMG. I love LinkedIn. I'm very active there. So come be friends with me and uh, I'd love to connect with you. 
I will include all that information in our show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show today. This was super fun. Thank you for having me. I had such a fun time talking shop. Thanks, ladies. <laughs> all right. This is Three Broads wrapping up. We want you to reach out. We want to hear from you. As Aaron said, ping us on LinkedIn or shoot us a question on the website. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or have a, a guest recommendation, we want to hear from you as well. All right. Y'all have a good one. This wraps up today's broadcast. If you're looking to shake up the status quo at your organization or just want to connect with these broads, visit mfgbroadcast.com. Contact Lori Hybe for your strategic digital marketing initiatives. Contact Chris Harrington for OEM and aftermarket digital solutions. And contact Aaron Courtney for web-based solutions for your complex business problems. We've got a great offer specifically for our listeners. You can find more information about the offers and your hosts at mfgbroadcasts.com.